Welcome back, my friends, to the Sweet Spot, where IT leaders share the inside with other leaders and others that want to lead. My name is Carlos Vargas. Wait a minute. There's not two of us. There's three. So we have Howard and Paul, but we also have a guest. So good morning. Good afternoon to everybody. Hey, everybody. Good morning. And so, uh, so who is our guest this week? Jeff, you want to? Uh, I think I think the audience at this point either knows us or is tired of us talking about ourselves. So uh, why don't you give us a little intro? Absolutely. So hello, everybody. My name is Jeff Shupak. Uh, I am president of a company called Project and Team, and we help organizations scale lean, agile, and DevOps practices. Generally, those organizations are fairly large and are having challenges dealing with the complexity, and so we help them think a little bit differently. What, what level well, of maturity is the sweet spot? Like, is it I'm level three and I need to get a level five? I've never heard of DevOps. I need introdu introduction. Or is, I've mastered the skill set and now I need to tweak it. What, what's the what's the best place for you guys? It's, it's going to be fairly, I'd say it lands in probably three areas. All of, uh, I would say, are pretty early on the whole. Jeffrey Moore crossing the chasm. Uh, I would say it's organizations that are highly regulated or compliance driven. So there's a lot of reasons why they can't just uh, apply a practice that's been a success pattern for somebody else. Uh, a lot of them work across uh, large geographies and a lot are working in cyber physical. So hardware inclusive, where it's not as simple as uh, feature flags or these sort of things. And so the question becomes, well, how do we get a bit creative with the intent uh, to do that at scale, specifically in the hardware domain gets a little challenging. Uh, so I'd say they're all um, relatively new to getting into it, but understand the need to change. Nice. So I need so, to say something. I, I love the library <laughs> and the ladder going up. So I got a story behind the ladder. Always as a kid, I always wanted a, I, they're called Cotterman ladders, I guess. Always wanted a ladder. And so Borders Books, a few years ago, closed near near us. And so I go down to Borders Books. I'm like, okay, I wonder if I can get a ladder. They're like selling all the furniture and everything. And sure enough, they sold me a ladder and the rail that goes along it. And uh, I absolutely love it. I still have a sign. I don't know if you can see it, but it says staff use only on it. <laughs> it's literally as is from them. I, I did have to trim the top. I probably don't need a ladder, but I kind of need a ladder. So did, did you back in the ladder? Like, Absolutely. They didn't know. They didn't and... have a. They didn't even know what price to put it at, Paul. I think I got it for like ten dollars. They're like, well, just get, out of, <laughs> get out of our store. Stop asking for our furniture. <laughs> yeah, that's just, awesome. Just wait outside at the uh, in the garbage depot and they throw it out. Grab it. Right, it's exactly it, and so yeah, no, I, I, I love it. I feel, I feel complete. <laughs> so before we started recording, um, we kind of took a trip down memory lane, and I mentioned that our first ever podcast, which was audio only, we did in Tokyo, uh, and we were we were staying at the Prince uh, Hotel, which of course is a Marriott because we're Marriott people, and Sakura. Um, yeah, we were sitting in the little garden at a bench and kind of recorded. Um, but we did something else that week. Uh, we went and visited the mouse like we, like we try to do whenever we're in a, in a place that has such a thing. Um, and it's, that was like probably top three visits to the mouse in my entire life. Hmm. So let me paint the picture. There's like, let's say 10 of us and we're all middle-aged executives. 
nerds who've, who've been around a long time, right? There's nobody that's new to, to what they do. Grizzled and, veterans. Sure. Um, that wasn't where I was going. Kind of arrogant dicks. You know what I mean? Like, like we're all middle-aged. We're all um, very much kind of heads of household, you know? And so yep. we're at Disneyland and nobody listens. There's no kind of group thought to it. Right. And you'd be walking along and one of them would just go shiny and veer. <laughs> and in any other park, that would be it. You just wouldn't see them again until the end of the day. Right. Um, I guess we'll meet you when we leave at park exit. I, I don't know how that's going to work. But because it's Tokyo and we're all Westerners, it was like, oh, crap, where did Jeff go? And then <laughs> see people, real person. Oh, that's Jeff. <laughs> Especially since at least 80% of a park like that is groups of female students all in uniform, like groups of 30, and they're, they're in clumps, right? So it's easy to tell a group of female students against anybody else in a crowd, and so it was easy to fight. Yeah, but it was absolutely hilarious to take a tip, trip through the park. You know what I mean? Like, like oh, oh, crap, a, a, a member of our party just decided they didn't want to be a member of the party anymore and wandered away. <laughs> How no, different no, no, no. is no problem. Tokyo Disney from Tokyo or uh, Disney Paris or Disney World? I've never been to Tokyo Disney. Uh, um, so it's interesting. Half of every ride is in English and half of every ride is in Japanese, with one exception. They have this um, crunch experience or whatever, the turtle from... Um, turtle from Talk with Crush. Yeah. yeah, Turtle Talk with Crush, um, which I ended up somehow wandering into by myself. Right, I got to it before everybody else did. I ended up wandering in by myself, one hundred percent in Japanese. <laughs> there was no moment of it in English, not one single solitary thing. So I just sat there the entire time, giggling. <laughs> I had no idea what was going on. I was the only like single adult in the room. Like it was definitely skewed towards very young children, um, supposed to be interactive, and of course, you know. There I am, couldn't understand a single solitary word, sitting right in front. The show is a screen, and behind that, somebody with a voice who is crushed, who's interacting with the kids that are in front. The parents are sitting on the stools behind. The whole goal is to interact with the kids, right? But right. every so often, they'll say, they'll pick out an adult and ask questions of the adult. And I'm assuming Howard was unique in that room. Did they pick you out to ask you a question at all? Or no, did they make an assumption uh, there you was, weren't going to interrupt? No, there was kind of a point and then some words. And then I just kind of looked around and then they were gone. <laughs> like, I think there was an assumption that if I was brave enough to come in alone, I, I must have understood Japanese. Like it was, you know, they just made an assumption. And their assumption was wildly incorrect. <laughs> Like it wasn't even, it was the most uncomfortable I've ever been at a Disney park. Right. You know what I mean? How did like, you find your way onto this ride, Howard? Well, <laughs> I feel I mean, like it's on a list. And so I'm like, I got separated for whatever reason. And they're like, I'm like, where are we going next? Oh, we're going to go to the crunch ride. Okay, cool. I'll meet you there. And they just kind of get in line figuring like they'll find me because I'm easy to see. But I was so far ahead. I made it into the ride before the rest of the party showed up. So then I just <laughs> kind of soloed it. 
so I bring that up because I was just at Orlando, right? I, I had a conference and, and like I often do when I have a conference in Orlando, I asked my wife if she would like to go and she says, absolutely, can we go to Disney? So we, we came out, a, went out a couple days early. I took Paul's advice and we went to Epcot, which was a fantastic experience. Mm -hmm. um, it's the least kind of populated of the parks. So if you're going on a busy day, it'll be the least busy at Epcot. So the, I think the longest line was maybe 70-ish minutes. Um, but we didn't really stand in any of those. Uh, we did Ratatouille near the end of the day. I have to, I have to say, spectacular. And somehow, so Ratatouille is the longest. Ratatouille was like 150 minutes for most of the day. Because it's the newest, right? Yeah. Yes. Well, other than and the one you run. Yeah. It was 35 minutes when we hit it. Wow. Like, like we, we finished dinner and I was refreshing the Genie app. I didn't pay for anything. I just used their app and refreshed until it like it kept ticking down and ticking down and ticking down. I'm like, it's 30 minutes. We should go. We got in line before we made it into the kind of the building. You know, we were in the line outside. It was at yeah. 70 minutes. Huh. Wow. So there was some other activity parade or something that was happening that caused a lull. And we we captured the the, the kind of tip of that lull. Um, and the ride was fantastic. We did Guardians of the Galaxy, which... Um, is very hard to get into. They have it's a queue only line, so you have to do a virtual queue. Nice. You can join it at seven thirty, but for some reason I wasn't eligible to join at seven thirty. Or you can join at one p.m. and I got in at one p.m. and then you show up at your appropriate time. They let you in through the fast pass, and then it's still a sixty minute wait or something. <clears throat> but it's effectively like if somebody said if you, if you just I want you to think about what you would do with Space Mountain if you used today's technology to build Space Mountain. And mm -hmm. that's what they built. And it is phenomenal. They pulled out every technology stop they possibly had. So it's a, it's a high-speed roller coaster where the cars spin on a horizontal axis in addition to moving forwards and backwards. Right. So right. when you're doing a and corkscrew, then... you face the corkscrew while you're going through it. Right. It's pretty awesome. So it's a total, it's a total trip. Um, so you kind of move, you almost move in three directions, right? You, you move right, left, up, down, forward, back, and then rotate on, on an axis, right? Thankfully, I don't get car sick, uh, so, so I was good. And then they've got like 16 different types of projector that they use to tell the story as you go through it. Yeah. So it's, just, it's an amazing ride, super happy. I'm a big um, uh, Space Mountain fan anyhow. Yeah. So this was like Space Mountain for a whole new generation, right? I, I don't think you could come up with a ride that's much, that's much more up my alley. And it's Marvel, and I'm nerdy that way, right? Uh, then the next day, we did Hollywood Studios, which, if you haven't done, has the Star Wars experience crap with it, which uh, I'm a big fan. I'm not a big fan of going into the cantina and spending $50 on two drinks in 15 minutes. Like, that one was kind of rough for me. You know what I mean? At the same time... It's pretty cool. It's not. It's not the Moz Eisley Cantina. It's it's a newer generation of of Cantina, but still that same feel. All the right. drinks are thematic, right? Um, but it's 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 so much an experience that they know they can charge you whatever they want. And you're going to pay it, and they shuffle people through so fast that you really don't get much time. And I don't know how you could afford to spend much time. <laughs> I mean, the <laughs> liquid is twenty five dollars. Yeah, you didn't. You didn't build a lightsaber, fortunate. Uh, well, first off, I couldn't get a reservation, and second, I I kind of don't want 
like my own lightsaber. I prefer someone else's. I have rays in the other room. Right. Um, you know, and, and I like, I like Obi-Wan Kenobi's, but I'm not sure it's worth $250. Right. USD. So let, let I, me ask you a question. You learn a lot through the whole process <laughs> of going through the events, going to the conferences. You actually should, you guys should write a book on how to go to Disney, but that's a topic for another day. <laughs> um, it changes rapidly. Like I've seen yeah, those lists so and it they, feels they, like bringing, bringing all that corporate actually also need to learn. And yeah. To... Gonna win that. So, so going through some of the rides, what occurred to me is Come it's the on. greatest place in the world to be an audience member. Right. But we all work in tech. And the tech that they use at the Disney parks has got to the point where it's it's absolutely bleeding edge. Right. The, they're seamless. using swarm AI and they're doing it in a seamless fashion. Right. They're using autonomous vehicles with swarm AI in in a way that allows them to be super dynamic and make sure that year over year they can change the ride if they so decide. Right. They're no longer using full animatronics on all the creatures. The Minnie and Mickey ride, Minnie Mouse and Mickey Mouse are just like, they could be big styrofoam heads. They're just big white heads with a big nose and they right. project the face on them, which means I can change the video at any time. I'm not stuck into what did I limit that animatronic to specifically, right? I can change the route. I can change what's being projected on the walls. Um, and, and as a nerd, all that stuff gets me super excited. Right? But then it occurred to me, I don't know that I want to be responsible for the uptime of systems that serve a million people a day in something they may only do, get to do once in their life. Right. You know what I mean? Like it would crush Your availability me. versus performance has higher stakes than random corporate IT job. Well, even not random corporate IT job. Right? But if you think about it, like most people, we're very lucky. Most people get to go to Disney once in their life. Right. I, I don't want to be responsible for costing that child their once in a life shot at that Mickey ride because it was down. Right. Or or the teenage boy who's who's been a Star Wars fan for their whole life and they couldn't make it on Millennium Falcon because it was broken, because it was down, because it had some issue, because it had some delay. Right. Um, I, I don't I don't think like if I was offered the CIO of Disney job, I, I think I'd have to pass. I don't think I'd enjoy the quality of life for that job. Like, what do you think, Jeff? Right. Is that the the incident management piece is interesting, right? So we're accustomed to dealing with incident management, incident management related directly to IT, and it's 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 almost different. You know, okay, some kid drops an ice cream cone, right? The ice cream. How's the park going to respond? How quickly can we get Mickey out on stage in the park? to have some sort of intervention there from a customer centricity standpoint. It, it makes uh, a lot of what we do very physical, very tangible. It's, it's interesting. Uh, and I think that's that radical customer centricity just to an extreme. It's a, they and understand they've, they've done it forever. I mean, that's the, they've done it for so long and it stretches in it, it starts. And what's also so fascinating to me is the thread across their products, right? It starts in studios and then it goes to streaming distribution. And then somehow we have to have this incident management also in, in the parks. And it's this massive thread of 
how they pull that whole ITP or the whole content through. That's just phenomenal to me. Uh, rapid learning, I think, informing across all three major segments of their business. So there's um, to, to go back into kind of the history of Disney and really talk about that, that centricity and that attention to detail. Um, Disney did a thing years ago called Party Gras. I don't know if anybody remembers Party Gras. But it no. was it was Disney's like um, Disney's version of of the Mardi Gras celebration, and so it was their kind of New Orleans themed parade and whatnot. And they right. launched it on Bourbon Street in New Orleans. Interesting. They showed up six months before, not just to kind of prep, but they paid people to climb down in the sewer and clean out three hundred years of garbage, so that. In the so for two reasons, first, so the city didn't smell nasty, but second, so that it rains a lot and they didn't want any puddles or flooding to occur, and they wanted to make sure that all the sewers worked correctly. No, nobody would do that, like, nobody, no other company is showing up six months early for a three day launch so they can plunge the sewer of a 300 year old city. But Disney felt that if they didn't do that. The risk to the experience would be something, yeah, there we go, there's Party Gras, would be something that they didn't want, you know, their fans that, to experience and didn't, didn't want to be associated with. Um, and I was lucky enough to, to go to New Orleans for the first time after that, and they were talking about that experience and how much nicer the city was, right? Mm -hmm. How much nicer Bourbon Street was. For the first time in anyone's life, the sewers actually worked. Like, the, the drains on the street actually drained water quickly. Right. It didn't it didn't continue to smell like vomit and, and urine on Wednesday when it was deposited <laughs> on a Saturday. Right. You know what I mean? Um, and nobody does that. Nobody has that level of attention to detail. Is that a if, learning something that they learn to do or is that something that they just do it and somebody just, oh, let's do it. There is a, uh, a article that a, a friend of mine, Luke Coleman, had me read from uh, Harvard Business Review, so, and it cites Disney, and it's called The Theory of the Firm. And the premise is care less about your competitive differentiation and more about how you're going to grow. And they outline three points, and it's really hitting a lot on Disney. The first is foresight about an industry's future, which I would argue is kind of the win the insight into which capabilities can optimize your future and the cross site into what assets can be configured to greater value. And it's, it's phenomenal, recommend the article, but it's so clear that Disney has done that by able to reuse their assets, their existing assets, and all of these different capabilities together to expand across so many product lines. I don't know of another company that does that quite as clearly. Um, and you see it, you see the same IP, the same assets, utilized with their unique capabilities manifesting itself across all their product lines. I mean, the parks are a perfect example of bringing to life studio, you know, and it used to just be, you went to a cinema and you just see the movie and that was the thing. Maybe you had a few toys, but here they just used the comment Howard earlier about how guardians of the galaxy is just gathering a different set of assets, but even more capabilities they've learned that they're able to apply into this new, this new ride. And the trick there then is the foresight about an industry's future. You know, the bets on Pixar, the bets on Marvel, the bets on Lucas, 
it's it's some significant foresight and the capability to actually acquire those assets is just phenomenal. I don't know of another firm that's been so successful. But I'm not sure they cared that much about competitive differentiation. Like they weren't looking at their studio against other studios. They just wanted to build and deliver a good product. And that's the point in the article right. is it's less about the competitive differentiation, all about growth, focus on the growth. And so definitely invite our audience to check out the article. It's worth a read, but it's just very interesting. And so kind of going back to Carlos, to your comment about learning, I think it's that you have to have an idea of an industry's future. How's your industry evolving? So you know where you want to rapidly learn to get to. How quickly can we learn to get into that space? And the easy examples are, of course, SpaceX and these other disruptive firms, Tesla. Um, and so I, I think that's part of it. You have to have the industry foresight, but you also need to know where you excel, where are your capabilities that you're good at, and then what assets do you have that you can push forward? Is, is how much of that requires kind of a, a, a thorough under, understanding of your audience, of your customer, of your your target consumer might even be a better way to to kind of think about it, right? Because I may not I, like if I provide a free service, you're not necessarily my customer, but you would be my target consumer, mm -hmm. right? So how much how much requires a thorough understanding of that to find success? significant right. i mean it's got to be a ton but i would argue disney knows their customer it's i mean that's one thing that the fact that you spent that much money howard on a set of drinks and you still walked out with a smile like that's that is essential yeah, yeah you do it again maybe not stay for 30 minutes but <laughs> right but but yeah. yeah i mean there's very little I, I tend to be a pretty picky human truthfully like there's a whole bunch of stuff i just don't <laughs> tolerate and yet I happily stood in line for 90 minutes to go be treated like a rebel spy on Rise of the Resistance. <laughs> I did it twice in the same day, as a matter of fact. And, and I, I do have to say, so we got a little, we got a slightly different experience than I think most people get on that ride. So, so the, the, the story of the ride is you're a rebel spy, you start off on a planet, and you have to go from that planet, take a shuttle and go to another planet and carry the, the Death Star plans with you. As soon as you get into space, the the uh, 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 new order shows up with a with a Death Star, pulls you into a tractor beam, and the door is opened, and now you're you're on board the loading dock, and you're being interrogated, and so they bring Carlos, you right out, and there's like sixty stormtroopers. We need a spoilers right. tag on this, Carlos. Uh, I feel like there's there's got to be like a proper spoilers warning here. And you've only described a third of the ride so far. <laughs> then they start breaking you up into groups that are going to be interrogated. Yep. Right. And my wife at this point has to pee really bad. Uh -oh. <laughs> the whole time we walk, we're walking through the line, she's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I hope this is almost done. Oh, my God. I hope this is almost done. And so we get to that. And she's like, she's like dancing. And I'm like, is it, is it really bad? And she's like, yeah. So I call someone over. and They're like do you wish to give us the plans for the Death Star? She's like, I have to go to the bathroom. I'll give you anything. Excellent. We've broken you. And they stay in character. And every single other Disney employee that we pass that's in New Order gear, they say, we've, we've got one to talk. <laughs> they escort us to the bathroom. And they escort us back. And they say, this one has some interesting things to say. Put them at the front of the line. They're going to need to see an interrogator immediately. You know wow. what I mean? They stayed in character and made it 
and made just that interruption part of the ride, part of the story, part of the kind of excursion. Um, and it's 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 a it's just a level. I don't see anybody else doing it. I don't see anybody else kind of taking it to that level. But they also th so thoroughly understand their customer and thoroughly understand the product that they're selling. The product that they're selling is immersion. The product that they're selling is kind of that fantasy, right? And how do you make that fantasy work with a hundred thousand people a day? Well, you make it work by by doing things like that, by doing small things that 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 have such a big impact. So I bet, and I don't know this, but I, I, I think what they've done there perhaps is decentralized the decision-making down to the individuals doing it to have the power and the authority to focus radically on the customer experience and deviate. I doubt that was pre-designed. I mean, at some point it's become a pattern that they just do. But the very first instance was rapid learning by the person doing the work, say, hey, I got a good idea. I got an innovative way to delight this customer that we can learn from and, and, and put into place. You know, we, we've all been on those phone calls to whatever teleco company you're trying to cancel your cable from, and it's the complete opposite experience. Right. And I, I think there's something around management encouraging the, they call it magic, but the, the magic creation for the guest experience, uh, and decentralizing that to empower uh, its employees to do that. And it's funny because I always think of Disney as a very conservative and constrained and managerial approach company. But I think in this area, uh, you may have experienced something that was radical innovation at an individual level that they've scaled. Well, but, but Disney also does that in a very specific way. Every employee that you will interact with at a Disney park is not an employee. They're a member of the cast. And that's a very important distinction. Like you have to audition. You don't, you don't apply. You also have to audition to become a member of the cast. They look at it as an enduring piece of, of theater. And, and that's right. kind of how they approach that. And, and part of that has to be, okay, someone's going to do something that you don't have a script for, right? Just like you're on stage and somebody skips a line or messes up a line, what do you do? How do you recover? How do you, you can't break, you can't just go, dude, that's not the line. Like you have an audience in front of you, yep. right? And I think part of their logic behind you're a member of the cast is you can't break the fantasy, but you have to incorporate the changes that occur. You have to incorporate the little pieces of chaos that show up on a day-to-day -day basis and, and continue to maintain the fantasy and will enable you to do that within the context of your role. That culture is rare, I think, in a lot of the large organizations we work with. And they, they've enabled that type of innovation on the fly as needed by putting guardrails around it, loosely coupled architecture, if you will. And it, it shows up in the culture. It's awesome, radical customer centricity. Some of that is a misinterpretation of what quality means right? Mm -hmm. Quality in some respects is defined, especially in IT, as consistent. Do the same thing over and over again, and you will have this exact same availability and performance. Whereas that's not true in everything. Like it's not true in the Jungle Cruise. The Jungle Cruise, they give you a third of the jokes. The rest of the jokes are things that are coming from you, which is why every time you go in the Jungle Cruise, it's a little bit of the same, but it's a lot different every time. Every single skipper. In fact, every time the skipper goes around, they have a, another set of jokes in their head that they're going to use, right? So it's 
And it's only because of that do people constantly go on that every so often because they want to experience some new set of jokes that they think is hilarious or not, right? Um, but in IT, in many ways, the goal is that consistency for an assumption that that increases the quality when in fact that might be true in you know, release management, but it's probably not true in customer engagement, right? It's probably not true in relationship management. It's probably not true in customer journey. It's right? true customer in journey. true, but it's not true in cast. Right. Right. The things you do on the back end that make the lighting work, that move the sets, right? That have to do with making sure that the costume looks the same from show to show. All of those things can be done with a focus on consistency a focus on repeatability. But the things that are cast, the things where you're interacting with the audience, have to have a level of freedom to them, have to have a level of enablement to them, have to have a level of autonomy to them that say, this is your role and this is how your role should, should act. Go with God, my son, and make that work. Like your goal is, the goal of a Disney cast member is to make that the most memorable experience you will have ever until you come back and see us again. And if that's never, if you come one time, it, this is the story you will tell your children. This is the story they will tell their friends, right? Um, and yet, to Jeff and Paul's point, we don't do that, right? We don't enable the people that do relationship management. We don't enable the embedded technicians, the embedded engineers, the embedded developers to carry that level of, of you know, um, well, customer centricity, customer value, um, personalization and autonomy with them when in fact it makes all the difference in the world, right? The hardest thing to do is acquire a customer. And yet the second you talk to customer service, it's like they're trying to not make you a customer again, right? It's um, true that we don't have this cast and crew differentiation in IT. That, that, that is never a topic to be had. It's, it's all about maintaining your standards, right? Red, green, yellow in the projects or blinking lights in the data center. It's very rarely saying you have a different set of OKRs than you do, right? We all have the same OKRs. So how KPI. do we bring that? How do we bring that concept? Is that something that, that is even achievable in our world? Of course it is. Of course it is. But, but, but I think it has to do with, like, there's this concept of must be done. These are the projects that I've committed to. They must be completed by the date to which I've said they'll be completed regardless of anything else. And we see it as a failure every time there's a push. But every time there's a push, there's a real world reason for that push. And they're almost always reasonable, right? It's almost always like uh, somebody got sick for two weeks. I, I, I'm, dealing, you know, I, I'm, I'm dealing with a few enduring kind of medical issues from key people in my organization, right? And things push. Well, they push because humans are involved and, and we're humans. And yet our failure to maintain that cast and only allow for crew means we never make that, that personal connection that allows for that forgiveness, that allows for that empathy. Right? So, of course, I think it's easy to fix. I think we just say, you know, the goal is customer centricity. And in order to do that, we must be empathetic to what the customer is going through. And thus, you must have the autonomy to, to, you know, within some kind of loose boundary to make the customer satisfied with the service that we promised to provide and, and accepting of our limitations in the, in the same way we're accepting of their limitations. 
So you can and learn it's more than to present. True, but how do you learn to be cast? Like it's very easy to create a program, right? Here are the buckets of things you need to know, and I can test you on the things you need to know. But that's not appropriate for cast. Right? Cast, you're looking for them to engage differently all the time, right? I want you to create a personalized experience. I want you to yeah. read the room, right? Read the situation. Uh, treat children differently than you treat adults. Where does that come from? How do, how do you engage in that learning experience? I think crew, though, still is going to get pulled in to that insight of your industry's future, right? You're going to need to predict your future customer tastes and your future customer demand. And I think that's sometimes gets locked out by crew. Also, we have this infrastructure, we have this setup, we have this business process, we have this bureaucracy, this old technology that is our debt. That's going to limit our ability to act on that future industry direction. And what it sounds like Disney has been successful at is bringing that technology forward. They still have old rides to, because the customers still love them. People love going on. It's a small world, right? That's that's a thing. Like whenever they've tried to stop it, people still do it. Howard hates horrible. it. Horrible. But it's a thing. There's a reason yes. they have it. But at the same time, each iteration of a new ride is taking their newly found capability that crew is standardized and they they radically push it forward so it may not be the same ride is always radically upgraded but it is that crew on the next instance the next iteration on the next ride uh is pushing that limit further and further but what disney's done is it's that foresight it's knowing it's knowing what we what our customers taste and demand will be in the future and that it takes a long time to build a ride. So to getting ahead of that is just phenomenal. Um, I think they, I think Disney also does an incredible job, not only of learning from where they've been, right? Which they do probably, they do as good as anybody else, if not, if not better than, than everybody, right? I'd say they're one of the top five companies. Like it's, it's very rare that I can click play on a, on an animated feature. I, and lately I don't know what, Disney produces. I no longer have children that are of that age, right? So I just see something show up. I click play in 25 seconds before the little Disney splash. I know this is a Disney because somehow it just has that feel. It has that look. It has that Disneyfication to it. And they do the same thing in their rides. And as they continue to evolve and as they continue to change and as they continue to update them and remove the things that are maybe no longer palatable or no longer acceptable or no longer um, you know, uh, uh, not, it's not appropriate that I'm looking for, but relevant. Um, they still know what they can take away and what they can't take away, right? The Jungle Cruise has changed a lot in recent years. And yet, yeah, I kind of miss, you know, the nostalgia of the old ride, but they haven't removed the heart of the old ride that I love. Like they're still smart enough to go. These are the things that are important. And we'll fight for those, but these are the things that we also have to fight to change, and we're okay with that. And it's this level of kind of of iterate of constant improvement and constant evolution and constant learning that I think most companies miss and lose. Right? I, I would never describe Disney as a calcified company, and yet it's a term that I use over and over and over again for for various 
you know, companies is they're calcified. They don't, they don't innovate anymore. They don't learn. They continue to do the same thing over and over again. And, and in many ways expect a different result. And you see it across their products. It's not just this. It's not just the parks. It's the studios. Right. If you get the chance, I would invite folks to, to Google the stage stagecraft that Mandalorian has been shot on and the technology that's evolved so rapidly of being in front of just a green screen, essentially, uh, but they can project the scenes behind the actors. So the actors aren't just green wearing suits with, you know, in front of green and not knowing what they're doing or what the characters, they can actually put them in the scene, make you feel like you are acting on a planet with a screen behind you. That is yet more areas where I think crew is constantly pushing the barrier, the debt against the debt to advance it. So cast can act appropriately. Um, they're able to to weaponize their their capabilities in just phenomenal ways. So thinking about that, then can we take a page from that? It looked like we need both worlds. We need to have crew that could keep doing probably the repeatable process. In a sense, they're also the ones that may innovate because they have to do it for the repeatable. But we need to then develop some cast members, some people that will delight the customer, that will, like you said, if the customer is coming with this face or if it's a customer in this area that they can react in a different way, is that more on the sales side when they're starting the process? Is that more on the operation when they're supporting them? What do you think? Well, I, I think it's I think I, I think it's always on the sales side, but I think every interaction with a customer is the sales side. And I think that's part of what we've lost, right? Every opportunity that you have to talk to a customer, whether they're happy or sad, is an opportunity to sell a customer. Right. And I and I think I think you kind of need to I think we need to kind of go back to remembering that. Right. Um, today, companies are spending billions of dollars on digital transformation. All digital transformation is, is finding your customer and working to retain them as they evolve and change. Right. Digital transformation is changing your company to deliver your products in the way your customers wish they could receive them. Every company that's been that's been displaced or disrupted has has done so because they they failed to do that. They failed to recognize that their custom they're not achieving what the customer wants, where they want, and when they want it, and how they want it. And someone else comes in that does. But if we're going to spend billions of dollars to do that, and we miss out on the fact that once we have the customer, they're far easier to retain than they were to get in the first place, and we've removed all autonomy from every customer facing role, and continue to do so then we're going to spend billions of dollars to ultimately end up in exactly the same place that we started. That being said, Disney has not perfected their contact center software. I don't know if anybody's <laughs> called them recently. It is still a train of ones and zeros and clicking buttons. And it's a, before you get to actual summon human, they haven't perfected that technology yet. So no. even though that is a sales opportunity, I bet there's a lot of drop calls. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I was very, very upset going into the park, uh, going into Epcot, not being able to have joined the 730 virtual queue because I set an alarm. I woke up. Right. 
I logged in ex- or seven o'clock. I logged in exactly on time, only to be told that for some reason I didn't qualify for that queue. If I didn't qualify for the queue, you could have told me before. You could have said you only qualify for the one o'clock queue. You could have right. set an expectation because you control the digital data. And then you probably should have told me why I didn't qualify. Right. Right. Why members of my party, which was my wife and myself, didn't qualify for the early virtual queue. Those things probably would have been would have been useful. They are far from perfect, as much as we are fans of Disney on this podcast. You were not as important as a customer as somebody else. It's, they just didn't right. want to say that in words. <laughs> <laughs> you, my friend, are B level. Disney's <laughs> <laughs> a big company. I'm okay being a B level Disney customer. That's, that's actually not a bad place for me to be. You know, it would be interesting if because they know that you guys have gone so much, they know that you're a repeatable customer, that you will continue to come, and they give priority to the customers that actually this is only their first time. <laughs> that would be hilarious. As in, as in, we're on a list where Disney says, we know we can shit on them and they'll still be back. Yep. <laughs> like, I, I love the idea that Disney maintains such a list. Definitely a topic for another pod, but it is interesting yeah. that they are the only major... Uh, customer-centric organization that doesn't have a loyalty program. Yeah. Right? None at all. At all. You have no idea. There's no point accumulation. There's no obvious uh, recognition of past days. None of that's true. And customers are quite loyal. Even though we know they have that data, obviously. But it's never a recognized issue. Well, I think that it was really interesting to understand that difference. There will always be the team that is a crew that is maintaining everything working, making sure that the rights in our case may be the solutions, the product that we sell or support, but there need to be that other team that is like a cast member that could delight the customer so they can continue to come back, that they will say that they will pay $50 for the drink without complaining, and they will go back again. Uh, so my friends, take the time to write down your notes, share with your team, and as always, share, subscribe, and we'll see you on our next episode.